Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Say the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Last week, I started telling you the story. Uh, many of y'all that are not pagans have, have probably heard this story, and that was a joke, and you can laugh um, because th- this is, you know, Jesus is, this isn't a funeral, okay? Y- y- you can laugh. Um, we, we, we're supposed to have joy in the Lord. And, um, but one, one evening last year, it might have been even two years ago now, I don't, I don't know, and I don't care. And uh, anyway, we were getting ready to watch a movie as a family. Family is very important to us. And so, anyway, my wife was making popcorn. She had a chihuahua and a weenie dog and an African basenji that used to used to guard a, a missionary's compound in Africa. He's an immigrant. And they, 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 they all love popcorn, right? So, so they can hear it popping. And that little old wiener dog, his tail is just going 400 miles an hour. You can hear it like a hummingbird, right? Because he knows he's going to get some popcorn that falls out. And so anyway, I'm sitting in there, and, and I get the movie rented, and, and I'm sitting back in my maroon easy chair with it kicked back. And my wife walks in with a 55-gallon tub of popcorn because that woman don't know how to make something for like four people. She either makes it for 40 or none. And so we get in there, and as soon as we sit down, as, as I'm fixing to hit play to watch this movie, we hear <whistles> a cricket. And my wife said, uh-uh, it ain't happening. You're going to have to find that cricket because I won't be able to listen to a word of this movie because I'll be concentrating on where that cricket is. So I kicked into super dad protective mode, right? And so I start using my ninja skills to locate and hone in on this cricket. And I found the little son of a gun, and he was up on the curtain rod. And I, thought, I don't know if y'all know it, but it, it's, it, it's bad luck to kill a cricket. Okay, that, that's an old, I don't know if it's an old Texas tale or what, but you, you, you don't kill crickets. And, and after I started this story last week, a friend of mine came up and she goes, you know what? That makes a lot of sense now because there was a cricket. I used to kill them all the time. And she said, I went up there to, to I saw a cricket in the house and I went up with a fly swatter and I went to kill it and I didn't kill it. It jumped and it went right down my shirt into my bra. She said, you've never seen a strip tease so fast in your entire life. She said, so I'll never kill another cricket as long as I live. So you ain't, you ain't, supposed, to, you ain't supposed to kill crickets. So I get up there and I see the little booger, right? He's just kind of chilling out, playing his fiddle up on the deal. And so I climb up on the couch and I step up onto the, to the arm rest of this big maroon couch that we have. And I reach up with the love of God. And I just, I, I just tenderly cradle him in my arm, and he goes to fighting, and he's kicking in my hand, and he's real scared. But I was like, "Little cricket, you ain't got nothing to be scared of, buddy. I'm gonna set you free. I'm gonna take care of you, buddy. I love your music, but I like to hear it outside, not during my movie. And the next thing I know, we're on our way to the emergency room. You think I'm joking? I'm not, because in my attempt to comfort and calm said cricket i stepped back onto the cushion of the couch and i jumped off the couch right into the ceiling fan it hit me right here and basically pinwheeled me 
into the floor. I mean, one minute I'm standing on the couch, and the next minute I feel like I've been hit by a freight train, right? And whenever I look up, all I can see is blood. I, this, well, I'm not joking about any of it. I look down, and all I can see is blood pouring from my face. And I can't see out of my right eye. So I'm like, my, my right eyeball's hanging on my cheek, you know? And there's that cricket. I might have said some unholy things. It wasn't, it, I mean, I guess I'm in control of my mouth. But anyway, my wife is sitting there and she had actually turned when it happened. And all she heard was my exuberance. And the first thing I did was reach down and catch that cricket. And I still cradled him in both my hands. And I walked to the back door. I couldn't see out of my right eye. And I opened the back door. And all I could hear was my wife going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you okay? Uh, I don't know, but I'm still, this cricket doesn't kick my butt. I'm going to be real nice to him. I just caught him and he done whooped me. So I leaned down and I let little cricket go. And I shut the door and blood is going everywhere. And I had to go to the emergency room instead of watching a movie. And get four, I have four or six stitches put in my right temple right here. and Stick my eyeball back in. No, not really. I'm joking. There was nothing wrong with my eye. Some of you have heard that story before. But it was two years later before I realized the significance of it. What I learned that day is that setting something free is dangerous. Setting something free is dangerous. We've all heard the term that Jesus came to save us. And, and, and I ask you right now, just real quick, what does that image bring to life? When, when I say Jesus saves us, you know, is he coming in to rescue us from something? Or anything, but but I, I think we've really kind of lost the meaning of what it means to be saved, because while Jesus does indeed save us, what he does is he walks up to the cage that we have built for ourselves and he just unlocks it and just opens the door and he walks off. We always say that Jesus saves us, but really what he did was come to set us free. What Jesus said is that he offers us dangerous freedom. In Luke chapter four. There is, uh, yeah, that's my, after the second service, I'm leaving right after the service to go watch my son race motorcycles in Colorado Springs. So uh, try not to let that be too big of a distraction. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives a sermon, and I'm going to read the entire sermon. It's three verses long. Three verses long in Luke chapter 4. And it says in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 17, it says the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. Now, if it was handed to him, you know, it's because he probably asked for it. Okay. Now, he, he basically wrote the book of Isaiah through Isaiah the prophet, right? But it says the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to Jesus, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. And Jesus preaches this sermon. Now, in the old synagogues, you know, they took turns standing up and, and, and preaching. And um, so anyway, he gets up there and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed 
will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. What he said is he's walked right up to the cage that has surrounded you. The cage of sinful living of self and all of these other things. And he unlocks the cage of even death and he opens the door and he invites us out. That's what it means to be saved. And I'm sorry to say that while for, I believe, all Christians, that that door has been opened, very few of us step out of the cage and live a life that we were called to live. Because when we step out of that cage, it becomes dangerous. One of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. And The Shawshank Redemption is about this guy that was accused of killing his wife, and, 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 and it's a great story. And But there's this one guy that has been in there for basically his whole life, and he is finally paroled. And when he gets out of prison, one of the first things he does, he does is hang himself and kill himself because he can't deal with the freedom that is offered. He's used to people telling him when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat, what to eat. And he, he needs those rules and regulations, and he just can't fathom a life outside of the cage. And it breaks my heart that standing up here today that I have to tell you that I was one of those, that, that I tried to live by the law of, of being a good person when, when it, Christianity has nothing to do with being a good person. It has to be... It, it, it has everything to do with Jesus' grace and mercy in allowing us to step outside of that cage and lead a dangerous life. See, freedom is dangerous. To set somebody free is dangerous. And Jesus didn't get hit by a ceiling fan in freeing us from the cage. He paid for it with his life. And our job is to go out there and lead a dangerous life. We're in part three of a three-part series called Dangerous Christianity. And I'm not going to go over it. It would take another 10 or 15 minutes to go over the other two parts. You can go to SaveTheCowboy.com, click on Previous Clinics, go to our live stream page, or go to the video section of our Facebook page and, and watch Dangerous Christianity Part 1 and Part 2. Or if you've got our mobile app, you can listen to the podcast of those. But today we will talk about how Jesus freed us and what that dangerous life of freedom looks like. See, Jesus died to free us from ourselves. When we no longer care about what we think, nearly everything in your life, your decisions are made based upon what you think, what you feel, what you know. When we no longer care about what we think, we can start fearing what the Lord says. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, not just knowledge, not something that you can learn at a university or even out here in the pasture. It says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. See, the Bible says if any of you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask for it and it will be given. But do we have the discipline to let go of ourselves and not do what we think, what we want, what we desire, and only grab a hold of what Jesus says that we should desire and want and feel. Freedom from yourself 
makes you dangerous. When you, when you no longer walk around with this raw nerve sticking out. Anybody ever had a hangnail? You know what I mean? When, when that little part of your nail is sticking off and it don't matter if you're brushing your teeth or you're putting your hand in your pocket or, or you're picking your nose, what, what, whatever you're doing, it just, you, you know, you hit that thing on everything and it just hurts, right? Well, that's what our emotions are like. We, we walk around in life with this hangnail of emotion waiting to be offended, of, of waiting to give our opinions about stuff when all God says is to follow him. But we can't follow him if we are only concentrating on ourselves. And Jesus came and he offered us freedom. Freedom from ourselves. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. What is wisdom? Wisdom is doing things the way what God says, the way he says to do them. There is no other way. Speaking of fear. Jesus also granted us freedom from fear. The Bible says to only fear the, the one that has power over your soul. I don't care what you believe. The Bible says that even those that don't believe in Jesus will stand in front of the judgment seat of God. And those that don't believe will crawl into caves in mountains and beg everything to fall down on them to shield them from the eyes of the Lord. The Bible says to only fear the one that has power over our souls. But God says that he wants to trade our fear for power and love and self-discipline. I didn't make that up. It's in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, which coincidentally, it was Proverbs 1 7. Now it's 2 Timothy 1 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. Power, love and self-discipline is dangerous to the world. It, it will take you away, just like Ty was talking about. You know, we're, we're laid up against the fence with the world, but, but God asks us to go through the narrow gate. He doesn't ask us to hang out with the world. But if you're not going to hang out with the world, then you're going to need power, love and self-discipline. And it doesn't come from yourself. It comes from God himself because he has freed us from that cage. Man, we have, we have all of this world to roam around in and eat of its goodness. And yet we just hang out in the corner of the fence wanting to be with the world. But God has called us to something more than that. Freedom from fear, though, will make you a dangerous individual. You can walk boldly, confidently, in kindness, and without fear of trying to follow rules or a checklist. And that's the next thing. That Jesus has freed us from. He has freed us from the rules, from the checklist. The old covenant was over 600 rules that you had to follow in order to be holy. And only one person in the history of mankind was able to follow all of those rules. The rules weren't meant to make us holy. It, the rules were meant to show us that we could never get to God on our own. You cannot follow the rules well enough to be right with God. Only by faith in Jesus Christ can you be made right with God. That's what righteousness is. Is faith in God. In Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham w w was made right with God because of his faith. Not because of what he did. But because of his faith, a checklist of rules cannot save you. Jesus bore our sins on the cross in order to save us. In 2 Corinthians 5, I'm sorry, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. 
And I'm I'm going to paraphrase, okay? I, I'm going to paraphrase just for a second, just because because I want you to. I don't want you to know what the Bible says as much as I want you to understand what the Bible says. We are saved by grace, not by rules, lest any man should brag. You do not get to where God wants you to be by following a set of rules. You get to where God wants you to be by having faith and following a man named Jesus Christ, his one and only son that died on the cross. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When you are no longer bound by rules, you are absolutely free to be dangerous. Jesus walked by and unlocked your cage, and he freed you. He didn't just free you from yourself. He didn't just free you from fear to make you bold and powerful and disciplined. He didn't just free you from rules. He also freed you from punishment. We need not fear punishment for our sins, for Jesus bore our sins on the cross for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, I got ahead of myself. God had him who had never done nothing wrong take our place in front of the firing squad so that because of him we could be deemed worthy in God's eyes. Simplified cowboy version. God who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. The most dangerous man alive is the one that can live his life the right way without fear of punishment. Everybody knows John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And for the life of me, I do not know why verse 17 is left out. For the son of man didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. To free us from ourselves from fear, from following a list and start following God's son to free us from punishment and finally to free us from death itself. There's a famous pastor down in San Antonio, Texas named John Hagee. He told a story one time of he went into the hospital to make a hospital visit. And while he was in the emergency room waiting Somebody recognized him. He said, aren't you that famous preacher that's on TV? He said, yeah. And he said, well, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And John said, well, I'm sorry about that. I wish you'd change your mind because it has eternal consequences. And all God wants to do is love you. And all he wants from you is to love him. And the guy said, well, I don't believe it. John said, well, that's your, that's your choice. Some time goes by and John has to go to the hospital for another visit. And as he's walking in the emergency room, an ambulance arrives and it is the same man that sat in that emergency room, waiting room, telling him that he didn't believe. And this man who is bloody that worked in the oil field, that there was a big load of drill pipe. And if you've never seen drill pipe, you know, it's, it's huge. And they were unloading it and the braces broke and rolled over on top of him, basically crushed him. And he calls out to John and he said, preacher, come here, preacher, come here. And John rushes over there and this guy grabs John's hand with his broken body. And he said, preacher, you tell them it's real. You tell them it's real. It's too late for me for I can already feel the fires of hell. It's too late for me. But preacher, you keep telling them that it's real, that death is real. And those were his last words when he passed away. See, Jesus has freed us 
from the fear of death. There was a friend of mine, ex-board member, named Laurie Ferguson. Great man, great man. And me and another guy, Laurie got cancer in the lining of his lungs, between his chest cavity and his lungs. Went through chemo, nothing was helping. They called the family in and they called me. They said, Lori's dying. They only give him a couple of days or whatever. Would you like to come see him? And I said, absolutely. So me and a friend of mine, somebody else that preaches the good word, went up there and we walked in there. And because of the cancer in his, you know, on the outside lung or the lining of his lungs, he couldn't talk real well. He basically talked in a whisper. And I held Lori's hand. And I decided that I would just ask him what was important. And I leaned over the hospital bed. I was holding his right hand. And I leaned over. And I put my hand on his bald head because the chemo had just done away with his hair. And I stroked my friend's head. And I said, Lori, are you scared? And he smiled at me and he said, Lord, no, I'm not scared. I have nothing to fear. And I said, Lori, unless something drastic happens, you're going to see Jesus before I do. Would you tell him something for me? I said, would you do one last thing? That's what I said. I said, would you do one last thing for me? And he kind of he chuckled and coughed. And he said, well, I don't know what I could do for you. And I said, you're going to see Jesus before I do. When you see him face to face, will you tell him something for me? He said, anything. And I said, would you do your friend a personal favor and tell Jesus that I love him? He grinned and he said, absolutely, absolutely. We prayed with Lori and we left. I had not made it past, I had not made it off I-25 when his wife called me and said, Lori's gone. We have been freed from the fear of death. When you have no fear of death, that makes you a dangerous individual. In Romans 6, 23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something that's been rattling around in my brain for a long time. And, you know, in John chapter 6, verse 66, Jesus preaches a sermon, and it's, it, it's too much for a lot of people because he talks about drinking his blood and eating his body, what we call the Lord's Supper now. And most of his disciples leave, and he turns to the 12, and he says, will you leave me also? And Peter says, you have the words of life. Where will we go? Where else can we go? I want you to understand something, and, I've, and I don't think I've ever said this from the pulpit. That authentic Christians need not fear death. And that makes them the most dangerous men alive. Because there's a thing in Thessalonians called the rapture. Where when Jesus comes back, those that believe in him will be taken up to heaven. Well, they won't have to die, right? It doesn't say that God kills them and takes them up to heaven. It says one will be grinding corn and the other one will be taken. Well, how did they win the cosmic lottery that they don't have to die like me and you will have to if, if our time comes before God chooses to send his son back. Well, I don't think that they won the cosmic lottery. Because you see, when everybody will die once, and when you die to self during this lifetime, you've already died. I have held the hand of believers as they passed from this earth, and it was the most peaceful thing I've ever seen in my life. I have also been present at the death of those that might not have believed, and it was horrible. Now, I can't judge. There was a guy, his wife still comes. 
that on his deathbed in Texas, they would go down there for the summer. He said, you know what? When my time comes, have that skinny preacher say a few nice words over me if he won't, if he don't mind. He was dying of COPD, having trouble breathing. And they gave him a shot to calm everything. And before they gave him the shot that would calm everything, he said, is this going to kill me? And they said, no, this doesn't kill you, but it will relax you. It'll keep your body from fighting so hard. He said, you'll just relax, you'll fall asleep, and then you'll pass away. He goes, okay. And he watched him give him the shot. He folded his hands over him, over his chest, and he told his family goodbye. And he closed his eyes, and they watched as everything calmed. And they watched his breaths grow shallower and shallower. And then he opened his eyes and said, well, I didn't think that would happen. And he laughed and took his last breath and passed away. That is a believer right there. That is a believer. We need not fear death. How many ways are there to heaven? I ask this question a lot of times. How many ways are there to heaven? And most Christians will say there's only one, faith in Jesus Christ. And then I say, how many ways are there to hell? And they say, oh, there's thousands. Adultery, murder, you know, they, they just start list, listing off at brownies, Rice Krispie treats, you know. Too many horses, you know. I mean, there's just hay prices. But that's not true. There's only one way to heaven, and you can't earn it. You can only have faith in it. Apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot earn your way into heaven. And if, if there's nothing you can do to get into heaven, there's nothing that you can do to get into hell. That is the question. Is Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? It means everything. It means everything. And nobody can do it for you.